Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java Junkies. Welcome to another K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. By the way, K-Cups come in three sizes, single, double, and triple shots, or roughly one minute, five minutes, or ten minutes in length. So if you don't have time to throw back an entire caffeinated career conversation, these K-Cup mini episodes of T4C can give you a quick caffeinated fix, whether you're on the go or you only have a few minutes to binge. So grab your mug and take a chug, because it's time for a caffeinated career triple shot K-Cup with my guest, Benjamin Bickman. Before we get into what you do as a metabolic research scientist, as a cell biologist, I thought we might kick things off by giving our listeners a quick 101 on what insulin is and what insulin resistance means. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great place to start. So insulin is a hormone that we make from our pancreas. The pancreas is a little gland that's just tucked underneath our stomachs. And everyone is making insulin all the time, unless you are a type 1 diabetic. And type 1 diabetes, that's a disease of the destruction of those insulin producing cells. And so that's a person who has to take insulin by needle injection. And you need insulin you will die without it. Insulin affects so many aspects of honestly, literally, and I don't use that word liberally the way the kids do these days. Insulin affects literally every single cell in the body. And so it's, it's not hard to see why it is so essential. Now, the, the, the most famous action of insulin is to control glucose levels. That when we eat something starchy or sugary, our blood glucose, or sometimes called blood sugar, will go up a lot. That is lethal. It will literally kill us if it stays too high. And so insulin swoops in to save the day by pushing the glucose into cells of the body, most especially our muscle cells and our fat cells. And having pushed the glucose from the blood, the blood glucose levels drop. Insulin, having done one of its main jobs, also drops. And then we go back to the state we were in before. But insulin affects countless other processes that have nothing to do with glucose. And that's where it becomes relevant in the context of insulin resistance. So insulin resistance is in the most obvious definition where a state in which insulin isn't working as well as it did before at some cells of the body. Now, I'd mentioned the muscle cells. Muscle is the main consumer of glucose. When glucose levels go up in the blood, it's mostly the muscle that takes that in because insulin pushes it in. Well, when the muscles become insulin resistant, now insulin's trying to shove the glucose into those muscles, but the muscles don't respond. And so the glucose levels stay high. And now the high glucose levels starts to basically turn the person into a type 2 diabetic. Now, however, 
some of the body's cells respond as well to insulin as they ever did. And one example of this is a certain type of cell in ovaries in women called the theca cells. And the theca cells are the cells that produce estrogens for her body. And a normal ovulatory cycle in a woman requires a huge increase in estrogen levels in order to ovulate. But if you don't have that big increase in estrogens, you have no ovulation. And insulin always inhibits that production of estrogens. And so that becomes relevant in the second aspect of insulin resistance, which is that blood insulin levels are chronically elevated. Now, that doesn't matter so much to the muscle because the muscle is already resistant to insulin, but it matters very much to similar cells like the theca cells of the ovaries that are producing estrogens because that means that higher and higher amounts of insulin are inhibiting the production of estrogens more and more thereby preventing ovulation. And now the woman has polycystic ovary syndrome, which is almost totally a disease of insulin resistance, but not because the ovaries are insulin resistant, but because in the state of insulin resistance, blood insulin levels are much higher than they used to be. So that's insulin resistance. That was a long-winded way of defining it with some examples, but insulin resistance is one, insulin isn't working as well as it did before in some cells, and two, insulin levels are much higher in the blood than they used to be. Okay. Wow. That was a super thorough response. Thank you. Just quickly, I realize you mentioned both type 2 diabetes Mm -hmm. and polycystic ovaries. But for our listeners, for university students, let alone those who are older, who are listening right now, why should they care if they have insulin resistance or if they might become insulin resistant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So the easiest way to start this is with the people on the older end of the age spectrum, which is every disease you're afraid of is essentially going to be impacted, if not totally caused by insulin resistance. And this encompasses a very broad range. We just published a paper looking at how in Alzheimer's disease, the brain fundamentally can't use glucose very well because it's becoming insulin resistant. That's what connects insulin resistance to Alzheimer's disease. So that is one of the most terrifying diseases that everyone has. So that's one where your insulin resistance is going to make it much more likely that you'll have Alzheimer's. Insulin resistance makes it much more likely that you will get breast or prostate cancer. And also hypertension and heart disease, fatty liver disease. These are all related and and, and very diseases of concern to us as we age. Now, on the younger end, to these seemingly immortal and bulletproof 20-year-olds, I would say a few things. One, um, the bill always comes due that these habits that you're engaging in now, while you seemingly can stay effortlessly lean, it will always catch up. I've been a professor now for 10 years, and as I see students coming back to say hello, I am amazed at how much weight they've gained and how much less healthy they are. So the bill always comes due. These habits of, you know, never ending cereal and and ice cream and and junk, the bill comes due. So it seems like you're metabolically bulletproof now, but you aren't and it will catch up to you. But even still, there are reports that in people, this was a study in young women, actually, as young as their 20s, if they have insulin resistance, you can detect mild cognitive impairment. While you are learning and spending a horrific amount of money or your parents' money getting a degree, hopefully in something that matters, you need your brain to be working well. That is your moneymaker. That is your primary investment at the moment. You need it to be working at its best. And if you are insulin resistant and you're, or you're getting there and it's more subtle than you think, you are hurting your brain's ability to learn and, and understand concepts. 
not to mention in young women, you will be driving infertility, not that you maybe care yet in your early 20s. In young men, you will be driving erectile dysfunction or, or rather erectile dysfunction is considered one of the earliest symptoms or manifestations of insulin resistance. And these things will matter. Again, maybe you're not thinking about fertility yet. I suspect you will soon. Regardless, PCOS is a very uncomfortable situation that has beyond fertility. It's, it's a painful thing. And of course, erectile dysfunction in a man, that problem speaks for itself. So without talking about food groups, what are the substances that cause insulin resistance? Yeah. What are they at their most base form? Yep. Yep. So I think there are three primary causes of insulin resistance and only one of them has to do with food. And I'll end with that one. And it's one I've already touched on a bit. So the other two, um, and I end with the last, I'm, I'm teasing it because that's the one you can control the best. The first two are harder to control and that is stress and inflammation. And, and those are words that are so commonly thrown around these days. Those are almost pop culture words that, uh, that have almost transcended any meaning. And so when I say these words, I'm going to be very, very precise. So inflammation, when I say that, I mean that there's an actual increase in the circulation of hormones or proteins that increase if inflammatory reactions within cells of the body. And that can come from things like autoimmune disorders or food sensitivities, where if someone has an autoimmune disease like rheumatoid arthritis or even juvenile onset rheumatoid arthritis that some of these students might have, when the autoimmunity is active and, and the body is, has an enhanced immune or inflammatory state, insulin resistance goes up. And then when the body has less autoimmune activity, insulin sensitivity or gets better or insulin resistance resolves somewhat. So inflammation is a key cause of insulin resistance. Stress is a key cause. And that is because of the stress hormones, epinephrine and cortisol. Those are the poster child, the prototypical stress hormones. They both cause insulin resistance through distinct mechanisms. So if you are stressed, you will have more insulin resistant. Now, that doesn't just mean an emotional stress. And I know students have a lot of that, but it's also a physical stress, like you're exercising too much or you're sleeping too little. And I know that latter in particular can plague students, if not most of us. But also, I very much am empathetic to the emotional duress that students experience. I vividly remember, you know, in my early 20s as a student, the, the kind of early, I call it an early life crisis that I experienced nearing the end of a degree, my bachelor's degree, and then wondering, what the hell am I going to do with this degree? And I had just gotten married and I was anticipating this life as a family man. And I thought, what I, I, I have, there are going to be demands of me as I, as my wife and I at the time had, to, or even fiance we were kind of very traditional and that I would be the breadwinner and she would be the homemaker. And I, I, that the weight of that future responsibility really settled on my shoulders. So I'm very empathetic and genuine when I mention that students experience stress. That's a stressful time of life when you're trying to discover who you are. You are in your decade of decision where the most important choices of your life will be made in that window of time from around like 20, 16 to 26 who you're going to marry, what you're going to study like as a job. Those are kind of, and, and a few others, uh, what to do, starting a family, big decisions, it's a stressful time. So another cause of insulin resistance. And the last one, the one that you can control the best because it's hard to just control inflammation. It's hard to control stress. 
and that is insulin levels themselves. And now it comes to food. If someone is living a life that is constantly pushing their insulin levels up, the body will start to become resistant to that insulin. And that is reflective of a fundamental biological principle, which is too much of a stimulus results in a resistant to that stimulus. For example, something as benign as coffee. The first time a person drinks coffee, they have a remarkable response to it. And there are diminishing returns. Now they need more. And what used to be one cup of coffee would satisfy them. Now it's three. And that is, and I'm not throwing coffee under the bus at all. That is, that is just an easy example of a fundamental truth. We see this in any substance can, can induce this kind of resistance. So what are the foods that yep. you would say are the prime offenders when it comes to pushing your insulin up? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's definitely the, the second part of this. So if, if chronically elevated insulin is a primary driver of insulin resistance, what is it that's causing the chronic insulin? And that is the incessant consumption of refined carbohydrates, where we have been told that we should eat, you know, five to six little meals per day. And we've been told that we should have the bulk of our calories coming from carbohydrates. That's a wonderful... I'm sorry to interrupt there because I think I know that there are good carbohydrates, Mm -hmm. for example, those in beans and in vegetables. Could you just spell out what you mean when you talk about the carbohydrates that are bad? That's a great question. At its simplest, it is if a carbohydrate comes from a bag or a box with a barcode, it's one to be very, very careful with. So this is going to be cereal and bread, crackers, pasta. But fruits and vegetables or lentils, those you can eat ad libitum. You can eat those freely. You almost can't eat too many. Now, you could theoretically eat far too many apples, you know, and and, because apples are kind of sugary. But for the most part, if it's fruits and vegetables and lentils, eat them, enjoy them liberally. There's no reason to scrutinize or control them in any in any amount. However, it's, the, it's those refined carbohydrates, again, that come from bags and boxes with barcodes. If you are eating those, it goes a little something like this, where overnight, as you've been sleeping, insulin has finally come down. The body's becoming a little more insulin sensitive. We go into a higher state of fat burning, which is something I haven't touched on at all, how insulin controls the fuel we burn. Insulin's low. The body is in a higher fat burning state. And then what do we do, especially undergraduates? We eat a big, sugary, starchy breakfast because it's two bowls of cereal and it's a cup of orange juice. That's just pure sugar. And so we have our glucose levels that spike to remarkable levels. Insulin has to come up as well to try to protect the body from that glucose spike. And then about three hours later or so, it has crested and it's now coming down. And wouldn't you know it, now we're hungry for our mid-morning snack. And so we get another starchy or sugary snack or a sugary coffee. And once again, we've bumped the glucose and insulin back up. And right as it's about to come down, we have a big starchy lunch and then our afternoon snack and then dinner and evening snack. And so we are spending almost every waking moment and well into some sleeping moments in a state of elevated insulin. And that is driving insulin resistance. And it's preventing us from burning fat because when insulin's high, The body's in sugar-burning mode, not fat-burning mode. Thanks for tuning in to this K-Cup mini-episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. 
Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.